left off. Um, you guys remember where we left off? Verse 3, I think it was. We're going to go back to verse 1. It's been a while. And so let me just, I want to make sure we understand the context of what's going on in the book of Revelation. We've come now to the tail end of this book, and we've journeyed through verse by verse together, and we've been looking at, for a number of months, the seven-year period that is uh, yet in the future. It's known as, what's it known as again? Tribulation period, right? Daniel's 70th week. Um, It's also called the time of Jacob's trouble, and it will be a time of unprecedented um, difficulty and hardship and trial that will come upon this world. I do not believe as a Christian, based upon what the Bible teaches um, and the character and nature of our God, that the church will not be here during that time period. In fact, I believe Jesus will come like he promised to come and take us to the Father's house, which is called, what's that event called? The rapture of the church. He will come, we will meet him in the air, and he will take us to the Father's house to the place that he's preparing for us, and we will escape the wrath to come, just as God promised in his word to those that are trusting in him. And now the tribulation, there's, there's three major reasons for that seven-year period. Number one, during that time period, there will be a great awakening on planet Earth. In other words, hallelujah, many people will get saved. Many people have different tribes, tongues, nations, God will do everything he can to reach a human being. And I was reminded this morning, there is is no one beyond his reach, by the way. He can reach and rescue anyone. Don't put anything past the Lord. He can do, he is the God of the miraculous, supernatural. And so during that time period, lots of people will get saved. Um, God will send angels through the air proclaiming the gospel, doing everything he can to get a hold of hearts and lives of people. However, again, God does not violate our choice. There will be some people still that will reject the free gift of eternal life found in Christ Jesus. And during that time period, God will remove wickedness and wicked ones from planet earth. There's going to be some pain, some tribulation, some ugliness in order to bring about the beauty of heaven to earth at his second coming. Also, the primary reason I believe um, for the tribulation is that God is dealing with the nation of Israel. God is dealing with the Jewish people. God's not through with the Jew. Amen? Correct? He still has purposes and plans attached to the Jewish people. In fact, it will take tribulation for the Jews that survive to the end of the tribulation. And by the way, only one-third of the Jews will survive. Two-thirds will be killed during that time period, according to Zechariah. The one-third at the end of the tribulation, they will recognize that the Antichrist is not the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one they put their hopes in and and, and trusted in. He will turn on them midway through the tribulation period and persecute the Jews. And the ones that survive to the end will cry out for Jesus Christ. And what does he do? He comes. His second coming, Revelation 19. And who's going to be with him? Amen. How cool is that? We're going to be riding white Harleys. What are we riding? White horse, just making sure you're with me. White horses, we're going to cruise with our king back to planet Earth. We learned about that like a month ago, right? And Jesus will come, and what will he do? He will set up his kingdom here on Earth for how long? Thousand years, otherwise known as the millennial reign or the kingdom age, right? And all of those promises that God has made in the Old Testament concerning the Jews, they will be fulfilled during the kingdom age. Those promises that he's made to the church, many of those promises that we're going to look at this morning that he's made to us will also be fulfilled during that time period also. And so um, just following the logical um, sequence of God's word, Revelation 19, Jesus comes, second coming, and now we get information and insight concerning the millennial kingdom. Let's check it out. Let's see what happens together. Verse 1, then I saw an angel. Who's I, by the way? Who's that? John the Apostle, right? John says, I saw an angel coming down 
from heaven. And what does he have with him? Having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old. Who in the world is that? Who is the devil and Satan? And what did he do with him? And bound him for, what's your Bible say? Thousand years, and he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. I love that. He shut up the devil. Shut him up and set a seal on him. Why? So that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And so we learn something about the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, the millennial kingdom. It begins here with John seeing the... Well, it begins with what? A common garden variety angel come flying down. He's not a mighty mega angel, a great angel. He's not even given a name. He could be Jim Bob the angel. And he's cruising down. He's got a key to the bottomless pit. And that some of your translations might have abuso or something different. It is the place of incarceration for fallen angels. That's the place we're talking about. He's got a key to open that pit up, and he's got a great chain also in his hand, and he comes, and what does he do? We're told he grabs a hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, the devil, right, Satan, and what does he do? He binds the devil up, closes the the chain around him, and then does what? He casts him into the bottomless pit, closes the door, takes the key, right, seals also the bottomless pit so that the devil cannot get out. He's bound for how long? For a thousand years there. Why? And notice this. Notice why? So that he doesn't deceive the nations till his time is up, till his time of incarceration is over. So notice something about what the devil, his, his objective is. It's to deceive people, to trick people, to to spread lies into the lives of human beings. And so what is our protection this morning against lies? Gang, it is the truth of God's word. And it is the truth of God's word that we need to hide in our hearts. The sword of the spirit is part of our protection, not only the word of God and doing it in our lives, but also God has given us the Holy Spirit. Amen? And Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit being our helper who would also lead us and guide us into all truth. And so we need to look to our helper to help us to understand the word, to apply the word, and to discern those things that are coming into our ears, into our ears and our eyes, that we're not deceived. Listen, we are all capable of being deceived, self-deceived or being deceived by someone else. That's why it's so important that we not only get to know the word, but the God of the word. Amen? And so the dragon is... Again, how fitting, the one who contributed to the chains of sin, addiction, and evil in humanity is put in chains himself, and then he's going to get released for a little while. What? Why can't we just jump to chapter 21 and 22, the eternal state? Well, God has a lesson for us that he wants to teach us, and God is a master teacher, is he not? So there's a lesson he wants to teach us in all of this. And so uh, notice what it says also with me. He will be released. God is use, will be using Satan for his purposes. God is in control. He's sovereign. It will be for the Lord's purposes. Very important to understand that. And then we read, um, it says in verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them. And judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for how long? 
thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him. How long? What's your Bible say? A thousand years. I think God is trying to make it very clear to us through his word this morning that the kingdom age will last for how long? A thousand years. It's like six or seven times in six verses. A thousand years, thousand years, thousand years. I believe God means what he says and he says what he means. Thousand, literal thousand years. And so the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign involves, what does it say? Thrones. It involves thrones. John sees two groups of people together ruling and reigning, governing, governing with the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what it says there with me in verse 4. John sees a number, we're not told how many, he sees a number of thrones that are set up, a group of people that are sitting on these thrones, and what's committed to them? Judgment is committed to them. They are entrusted. When you're entrusted with judgment, it's decision-making, right? Ruling, governing is the idea. And so um, judgment was committed to them by Jesus. Part of his kingdom, these people that are mentioned here, can you imagine that? They get to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. Who in the world is this talking about? Us, thank you. How do you, how do you know that? Uh, you're just coming up with this stuff, Mike? Remember, remember all the way back in Revelation chapter 3? It was about three years ago we were there. <laughs> Revelation chapter 3, I'm going to flip over there real quick. Revelation chapter 3, the best commentary for the Bible is the Bible itself. Revelation chapter 3, remember Jesus is giving out report cards to the churches. This is for Laodicea, but it's applicable to all churches. To the overcomer, what's the, to the, overcomer, what's, what's the promise? Look what it says. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me, Jesus says, on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So Jesus says for the overcomer, he promises a seat with him on his throne. Now look two more chapters ahead in chapter 5, Revelation chapter 5. We see a song is being sung by the 24 elders that we recognize is a symbolic number for the church. In fact, there is only one group of people that can sing this song in heaven. We, we know this group of people by the song they sing. Isn't that interesting? We can identify them by the song that they sing. What's the song that they sing? Revelation 5, verse 9 and 10. Listen to what it says. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll. Who are they speaking of, by the way? Jesus. Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? For you were slain and have redeemed us to God. How? By your blood. Is anybody here redeemed this morning by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Jesus Christ? Thank you. And have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Do we have a lot of different tribes, tongues, nations, and people in this church this morning? I think it's a glimpse of heaven, by the way. I look out every week and go, wow, look at, this is a diverse bunch, isn't it? Thank you, Lord. We've been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb out of every different background. And then listen, it says, and you have made us kings and priests to our God, 
And what does it say? We shall reign on the earth. Guess what? That's speaking of what we just read in Revelation 20 and here. That's us reigning and serving the Lord Jesus Christ in that capacity. Isn't that awesome? If you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians 6, Paul speaks about this same thing, Jesus entrusting us with judgment. Isn't that amazing? Paul's writing to a church that was pretty jacked up. Wasn't the church of Corinth pretty jacked up? No? They were great? They were doing awesome? They were tweaked. They were all messed up. And by and large, it's a corrective letter. I am so grateful because the church can get jacked up, can't we? We make some mistakes, and we, he's given us his word to help us work through those issues that we have with one another. And one of the issues that was happening at Corinth was that the brothers and sisters in the church, rather than having someone mediate for them within the church, another brother or sister, you know what they did? They went to court before the unbelievers and were suing each other. Doesn't that sound like today too? And what was happening was their witness for Jesus was radically damaged in the community. The name of Jesus blasphemed. You're Christians and you're fighting against one another and you're suing one another? Man, you look just like us. And Paul's like, I can't believe some of the things I'm hearing about you guys. And he says, he asks a question, 1 Corinthians 6, right off the bat, he says, dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? He's like, how could you do that? You're going to the unright. People that don't know the Lord nor his word, you're going to them to get arbitration. And he says, he reminds them, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? (gasps) Who's the saints? That rotten team from New Orleans? No, that's not what we're talking about here. (laughs) Just kidding. Just just a joke. I know you got some raging Cajuns in here that want to string me up after. Listen. Saints is you and I. And either you're a saint or you ain't. There's no in between. Either you are a born again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ or you're not. Either you've received the free gift of his forgiveness and eternal life and put your faith and trust in him or you're not a saint. But he says and he reminds the church don't listen, you need to understand this. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Don't you know who you are? Your position in Christ? And he goes on to say, and if the world will be judged by you, if that's the case, or since that's the case, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? How can you not deal with these little things? God's going to entrust you with these big things. Come on, let's get it right. Let's get reconciled. Let's put these, those things are not going to matter in heaven. In fact, he gives instruction on how to deal with if you've been wronged in the next few verses. If you're taking notes, I'm also going to read 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. It's a faithful saying that Paul gives Timothy here. And it says, for if we died with him, we, sh- we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. Do you guys catch that? Who's he speaking about here? Us. You endure, he says. You're going to reign with the Lord. If we deny him, he'll also deny us. Not a lot of amens to that, though, is there? If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And so back to Revelation chapter 20, this first group of people we see... During the kingdom age, these believers are entrusted. That would be us included in this batch of people. And we're going to be given some decision-making, some administration to do. And I would also include the Old Testament saints as well being involved in this. And we'll talk more about them in just a moment. The second group of people we see, because look what he says in verse 4 with me again. The first thing John sees is thrones. Us, we're sitting on the thrones, judgments committed to us. Then, he says, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded 
For what? For their, number one, their witness to Jesus. And number two, for the word of God who did what? Who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Next, who does John see? He sees another group there ruling and reigning with Jesus, and these are those who were martyred during the tribulation period. They are beheaded. During the tribulation period, again, there will be those that, during this great awakening, that will give their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. They will get saved. And so... Um, I think by and large, the majority of them are going to be martyred. They're going to be beheaded. But what's noted about them, number one, they were uncompromising in living for Jesus. We've been, listen, gang, we've been called to be witnesses to Jesus also. With, not only with our lips, but with our lives as well. In fact, Jesus promised to give us what we need with the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said, power will come upon the Holy Spirit will come upon you, that you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the uttermost ends of the earth. So the Lord wants us to be his witnesses, those that go on record about what? About him, that he's alive. If you read through the book of Acts that's what they proclaimed with their lips. Jesus is alive. He's risen. He conquered the grave. He died on the cross, but on the third day, he rose again, and he wants to come into your heart and live in and through you. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And so what's noted about the tribulation saints, number one, is their witness to Jesus, but also their unwavering commitment to the Word of God. Listen, where are you with that this morning? Because there is a huge pressure to cave on the truth of God's Word in our culture, in our city, in our schools, and in the workplace. And I look at these people, and you know what? They were uncompromising in their living for Jesus and unwavering in their commitment to the Word of God. Are you committed to the Word of God, brother or sister, this morning, to the truth of God's Word? I, can I encourage you? Don't dumb it down. Don't dilute it. Don't cave in on the truth of God's Word. Are you with me? Many people paid the price that we might have this in our hands and in our hearts. And we need to be willing to pay the same price, whatever it is, for our Jesus who rescued us and gave us his word straight from his heart to our heart, the truth that sets us free, gang. And so we, how do we know they're tribulation saints? Well, notice what it says. They didn't worship the beast. Who's the beast? The Antichrist. Thank you. They did not worship the beast. They refused to worship him. They refused to bow down and serve a man. You guys catch that? They refused to bow down and serve a man because why? They were bowed down to the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, what does it say? They did not worship his image. They refused to worship. Remember, the false prophet sets up some kind of image, some kind of icon of the Antichrist, and everybody is forced to do what? To bow down to this image, just like in Daniel. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? You guys remember Nebi? King Nebuchadnezzar? Golden statue, hear the tunes play, everybody's got to bow down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said what? Politely, no way, Jose Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> right? We bow down to the Lord alone. That's not what he said. You can go back and look at it yourself. Just loose paraphrase. But they refused. These believers refused to bow down to any image, icon, or idol, or anything else. And any other created thing. And without question, listen, without question, Jesus is number one in their hearts. There is... Their lives are free of idolatry. And that's what the Lord wants in our lives, does he not? In the, in the commandments, you shall worship the Lord your God, number one. And God says, no other gods before me. When he says, no other gods before me, you know what that means? Not 
hey, I'm number one, but you know, number two is your sport, your business, your money, your this or that, your family. It's no other gods. In Hebrew, literally, it's no other gods in my sight. He's to be, listen, let me just encourage this this morning. When he's number one, when he's number one, everything will work out in your life. It's that easy. You make him number one, you put him first, everything will work out. Because why? How can you say that, dude? Because he promised. You seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. We put our lives totally in the hands of the good shepherd, not scheme, manipulate, connive, or whatever, try to manufacture stuff. Say, Lord, I, like, didn't we just sing that? Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Apart from you, I can do nothing. And so we make him number one in our lives. And watch New Year, gang. This is not like a New Year's resolution. I'm going to strive in my flesh. It's just surrender. It's saying, Lord, I need you. I'm going to make you number one. So we see that with this group. And then what else do they not do? They refuse to take the mark of the Antichrist. And by the way, I know some of you maybe are joining us for the first time in the study of Revelation. Um, Please don't freak out if you get like a 666 on your driver's license or or you go to the theme park and they stamp you. Oh, no. That's not the mark of the beast, man. This is, a, this is a willful choice during the tribulation period. And when you take that mark, you're saying, I reject Jesus Christ. I don't want him. And I will bow down my life to the Antichrist and serve him. It's not something you get accidentally. Because <laughs> people sometimes say that, I mean, they mean, meaning well, oh no, you know, I got, don't freak out. It's going to be Okay. If you put your life in Jesus' hands, it is the safest, most wonderful place to be. But remember what was happening. When you don't take the mark during this time period, what happens? There's no buying. There's no selling. You're just scraping and scratching to get by. But again, if you've put your life in the Lord's hands, he's going to take care of you. But here's the deal. They chose, listen, they chose to worship and serve Jesus Christ like Moses. Remember in Hebrews chapter 11, like Moses, they chose, check this out, poverty and to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of this world looking to the reward. That's beautiful. And what was the result? It's, listen, this is the worst it's ever going to get on planet Earth, by the way. The best is yet to come. I mean, it's going to get worse, by the way. I'm not saying it's not going to get worse. It's not, is the world getting gooder and gooder? No. It's ramping up evil, more birth pangs, frequency, intensity. But for us as believers, the best is yet to come. Yeah. That's why we're to set our mind on things above, to seek the things above, to make our lives count with the amount of time that we have left to invest in that which is, which is eternal. What is eternal? God is eternal. His word is eternal. And people are eternal. And so, New Year, I hope you're making, I pray and I hope, Precious brothers and sisters, you're making the right investment this year. It's not too late to invest in that which is eternal. Because look at the result now of them making Jesus number one. It says what? What does it say? They lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This second group is the saints martyred during the tribulation. They will be resurrected you can't, you can't rule and reign without a head, correct? <laughs> New body. And they will rule with Jesus during the kingdom age. And, and can I just remind us this morning, each one of us right now is being prepared for the throne. Like Joseph. Y'all remember Joseph? Each one of us. If you're living for the throne now, you're living for the wrong kingdom. We're being prepared. Listen, and it's difficult, isn't it? 
Jesus said if you've chosen to follow him, he lets us know right up front, the broad way, the wide gate leads to destruction. Broad way leads to destruction, to eternal hell. The narrow way, the narrow gate is that which leads to eternal life. And Jesus lets us know right up front, it's going to be difficult. It's difficult. Why? Because number one, we live in a fallen world with fallen people. And we have a fallen nature, correct? But also, we're swimming against the current, right? We've been saved, we've been rescued, and now we're no longer of the world. We're in the world, but no longer of the world. We're swimming. Doesn't it feel like you're swimming against the current sometimes? The pressure, the, the attitudes, the, the, the posts we read, the stuff we get, the things we hear, the things we see, and like righteous lot, we're vexed in our hearts. And it's difficult. But here's the deal. We're not alone. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it is difficult but we are being prepared. Some of you, I know you're dealing with health issues. You're sick. We've got a number of people with cancer in this body, in this church. And it's difficult. Some of us have lost jobs. Some of us have lost loved ones in this body. Some of us are grieving this time of year because of lost loved ones. And it's difficult. And like Joseph, though, you and I are being prepared for the throne. Think about what Joseph went through to reach that place where God wanted him to get to. He went through some difficulty, didn't he? He didn't have that slick jacket on the whole time. Coat of many colors, correct? Got stripped, got sold into slavery. And you know what we read, falsely accused of, uh, of rape? But what we read, we, well, what we never read Coming from Joseph's lips is griping and complaining, or the poor Mimi's. But what did he do? He sought the Lord. And as he looked back, what did he do? He remembered God's goodness, God's faithfulness. And that's all he wanted to talk about. And it should be the same in our lives as well. Listen, every one of us here this morning, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter how long you've walked with him, you have a history with him. You have a history with God, and he's been nothing but faithful in your life and in my life. He's been nothing but good. You know what that speaks prophetically of? Do you think he's going to be good in the future? Is he going to be faithful in the future? Can you rely on him? Is he consistent? Is he a flake? No. I'm like, yeah, those are all yeah. <laughs> you tricked me. But I mean, I'm blown away. Jesus shares his ministry with us now, and he's going to share his ministry with us then also, and it's all because of him. Well, look at verse 5. We're going to get through four verses. Hallelujah. But the rest of the dead did not live again until when? Until the thousand years were finished. So who are these people? All of those people that have died throughout history apart from Jesus. They're going to be raised after when? After the thousand years. After the millennial kingdom, they too will rise from the dead literally and physically. And they will be resurrected. Why? To stand before God at the great white throne judgment is what we read about later in this chapter, verse 11 through 15. And at the great white throne judgment, they will be found guilty and sentenced to the lake of fire, listen, for all eternity. That's, to me, pretty sobering. And let me remind us this morning, as God's children, if, you've, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, you, will, you and I will not stand at the great white throne judgment. No amens to that. Amen. Lord, thank you. <laughs> That's frightening. You die and then end up standing before God, trying to stand in your own righteousness, and you hear guilty and sentenced to the lake of fire for all eternity. That's reality, man. But for us, it should cause us to go, thank you, Jesus. Because the only judgment that we face ahead 
is the Bema Seat judgment where we will be rewarded for the things that we've done for Jesus motivated by love. Are you with me? All the bad stuff burned away. All the good stuff, he rewards his precious children. But the Bema Seat judgment... Um, so where are these people now? Where are the unrighteous dead right now? They are currently waiting for the great white throne judgment. We're going to learn later, their bo- death is holding their bodies and Hades is holding their souls. And death and Hades will cough up both. They'll be resurrected. Um, unbelievers will be raised to face judgment. That's called the second resurrection, by the way. And there's two resurrections, literally two standing up again. Standing up again, that's what resurrection means. One for believers and one for unbelievers. The first resurrection is unto eternal life. The second resurrection is unto eternal condemnation. Is everybody tracking with me? You guys tracking with me or no? That's why he says, blessed are those who take part. Blessed and holy are those who take part in the first resurrection. Well, what's this first resurrection all about? Well, this verse refers to the people that we read about, including us, in verse 4. And listen, this is important. The first resurrection is not merely a one-time event. The first, let me repeat that. The first resurrection is not merely a one-time event for the righteous, but a resurrection of, of a sequential order, or I would say it's progressive. It occurs in stages, kind of like a parade, if you will. You guys ever seen a parade? Or an army marching together? What do you mean by that? 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to flip over there real quick. 1 Corinthians 15. The Apostle Paul, again, writing to this church at Corinth, concerning the resurrection. Apparently, they got this a little messed up at church also. And Paul tries to help them out, see clearly, connect the dots. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 20. And Paul uses some Old Testament imagery, imagery that the Corinthians, the the Greeks, uh, would be familiar with here also. And, And Paul says, but now Christ is risen from the dead. Good spot for an amen. Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The fir- What's a first fruit? The first of the harvest, the best, communicating. When the worshiper would bring the first fruits, it communicated, I'm giving God my best and I'm trusting him for more to follow. Jesus is the first fruits. He's the first to rise from the dead never to die ever again. And he said, because I live, so you too shall live. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Is that talking about the people this morning that are snoozing at church? Uh, Huh? Did he see me, hon? Listen, I know everybody that sleeps in church. Don't try to deke me. Fool me. Falling asleep, that's a euphemism for death. Falling asleep. Not soul sleep, because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord for us. And Paul says, for since by man came death, by man, capital M, speaking of Jesus, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. Even so, in Christ, all shall be made alive. Is that good news? How's it roll out? But each one in his own order. That's a military term that Paul is using. Speaking of order, there's a a marching order. Sometimes you see like like, like soldiers, here comes the big guns, here come the tanks, here come the marching guys, and you, you got an order, like a parade. That's the idea. And he says... Each one in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. Afterward, those who are Christ's at his coming. 
Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. And so... What is this order all about? Jesus is number one. He's the first. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Remember when Jesus comes at the rapture, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those who are alive will be caught up in the air. And as we're being caught up in the air at the rapture, our bodies get transformed and changed into our new glorified heavenly bodies. Can I get uh, something here? I don't know if that's what it's going to look like, something like that. In a blink of an eye. And then, so, so follow, follow the parade here. Jesus, dead in Christ, rise first. Those who are alive at his coming for the church, the bride of Christ, caught up in the air, resurrected, new, brand new bodies. Then the middle point of the tribulation. Remember the two witnesses? What happened to them? Remember what happened to them? They got killed and then rose again. They were resurrected and ascended into heaven. They're in the parade too. And then at the end of the tribulation, we also find the, we also find the Old Testament saints. If you're taking notes, Daniel chapter 12. I'm going to read it. Last chapter of Daniel. Can't forget about the Old Testament saints. They got to get resurrected too, don't they? Yeah. Daniel 12. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, speaking of the great tribulation, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book, and many of those who sleep, there's our euphemism, in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And then he says, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And then also in the parade, we have the tribulation saints also those beheaded for their witness we just read about they get raised also are you guys tracking with me still excellent those who take part in this first resurrection that's like a parade has order they are what is what is john right they're blessed and holy what does blessed mean thank you oh how Happy. What's one reason we're going to be so happy? New bo- Jesus, yes, amen. We get to be with the Lord. It says in 1 Thessalonians 4 that we will be with him forever. And not just that. What else is going to happen? How about the new bods? That's like half the room. I know we got a young crowd. Those 25, 20 to 30s are like, new bod, for what? Check out, check out this heavenly body. <laughs> <laughs> just wait I, when I hit 50 it was like man what's going on it's like it's like snap crackle pop getting it like in the morning right and he, it's like oh come quickly Lord Jesus <laughs> I feel like the tin man need to get oiled listen the old bod from the sod the new bod from God First, First Corinthians 15, listen to this. The, this is verse 47. Paul's still talking about the resurrection. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. That's us. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. First John chapter 3. Remember what John writes there. He's blown away that we might be children of God. He said, be, he said, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know, do you know this this morning? We know that when he is revealed, 
we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Does anybody else have that hope this morning? And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. The Apostle Paul said, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you eagerly waiting for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? What's he going to do? Next verse. Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. How's that sound? Sound good for anybody here this morning? New bodies. Blessed and holy are those. Holy means set apart set apart for God's exclusive use and his use only. And so blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. And then notice what it says, over such the second death has what? No power. The person, the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, who what? Who takes part in the first resurrection is immune to the second death. So we got to ask ourselves, what in the world is this second death? Well, the second death means that you live once and then you die physically. The statistics are still the same. Aren't they 10 out of 10? Correct? Second death means you die once physically and after that you die a second time when you are sentenced to the lake of fire for all eternity where you are separated from the source of life himself, the Lord. And listen... um, We're not going to get to it this morning because we're late. But what we learn from the scriptures is that not only is heaven a very real place, but hell is a real place. And it is a place Jesus expressed and communicated and urged his listeners. It is a place to be avoided at all costs. And Jesus came to rescue us from sin and death and hell. He's not willing that any should perish. It's so brutal, so horrific. He does everything he can. If, again, if you don't know the Lord here this morning, it's not an accident you are here, or you're listening online, or you're hearing this recording, or whatever. Today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart. The Lord is reaching out to you right now to forgive you, to give you a fresh start, and to give you, too, the hope of eternal life with him. And so Jesus said, in fact, he expressed it this way. He spoke about having a proper fear of God. And he said, and I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. We are to, listen, we are to have a fear of God that's greater than the fear of man. And he would say later, don't fear, little flock. Your father is the one who's going to take care of you. We are to have a proper respect and honor and reverence for God and not to play fast and loose with his word or in our walk with him. In fact, we can thank Jesus this morning because listen to what he said in John chapter 5. There's a lot of reasons to thank Jesus, isn't there, this morning? John 5, 24, Jesus said, most assuredly, or amen, amen, verily, verily, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and, has, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Is that good news this morning? Hallelujah. And then we finish. Look at that last part of the verse with me. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him. How long? A thousand years. Those who take part in the first resurrection will enjoy serving as priests, being involved and ruling and reigning, whatever that's going to look like with Jesus during the kingdom age. What a blessing set apart for God's exclusive sacred use with our new bodies. What are they going to be like? Look at Jesus' resurrected body. 
When we see him, we shall be like him. Isn't that awesome? Did Jesus eat in his new body? He sure, all right? And not gain a pound? <laughs> Comes into the room, he's gone. Just cruising all around, speed, speed of light or beyond or whatever. Just how amazing. Our new bodies will not only be fitted for heaven, our new bodies will be fitted for our time on earth with Jesus and for all eternity with our King. What we see around us will be changed during the millennium, the environment perfect, the devil locked up, perfect leadership as Jesus rules and reigns. He'll be giving us the Bible studies. Thank you, Lord. And again, why not just go to straight to chapter 21 and 22? Not only does God have promises to fulfill in the Old Testament and the New, but he's going to teach us a lesson. The kingdom age will be much like the Garden of Eden, round two. Perfect environment, beautiful garden, and then the devil shows up. And what happens? There's going to be a rebellion. And God is going to teach us something that there are going to be some people that just won't fit in with him. And it's not the issue of the environment. It's not the issue of the teaching. It's not the issue of our parents or our community or our hood or our lack of education or whatever else. The heart of the issue is always the issue of the heart. And what does God offer to every single one of us both now and at that time to those people that go into the tribulation, he offers a new heart and a new start. And what is our part? Simply to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the one that changes us. He's the one that fixes us. We need fixing, don't we? It's only him that can do it by his grace. All this by his grace for his glory in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you.